there are certain milestones in life that just kind of weigh a little bit heavier than others. They cause a little bit more internal strife within us. And one of those for me uh, was turning 30. Any, anyone with me on that? Okay, I see a couple of brave hands. One shot right up, absolutely. Maybe you're 29 or still 29 and you're still struggling with that idea of turning 30. There was just something about 30 that, that ate me up. And I look back on it now and my 30s, I would say, were like just the best decade of my life. So many incredible things happened. But, but as I was entering into them, Man, I was walking into my 30s with much fear and trembling and trepidation. And, and I'll never forget that two days before my birthday, uh, I was in the hospital visiting a, a guy who was in his 80s named Archie that, man, was just a sweet, sweet guy. I loved him, enjoyed all of our conversations. And we were sitting there in his hospital room talking about life and about faith. And Archie got really reflective and serious. And he looked at me and he said, Sean, I'm telling you, it just all goes downhill after you turn 30. <laughs> and I was like, Archie, what are you doing, man? You're killing me. What? Don't tell me that. And so I decided that uh, instead of letting 30 get the best of me, I was going to get the best of turning 30. And so I uh, signed up for a couple of endurance activities and hoping to like show my body who was boss. I don't know. Uh, the first one was a 185 mile bike ride in Northern California to raise money for uh, to fight MS. My little brother has been suffering with MS since 2008. And so it was just a cause that was near and dear to me. And I mean, just it was a beautiful ride, a lot of fun. The second endurance activity was a marathon. And I had done a handful of half marathons. But I decided I'm going to bite off the whole thing and do the full 26.2 miles, which just shows that uh, the brain is still not fully developed at 29 years old because I thought that that was a good idea. <laughs> and it was not. Uh, I trained all through the summer into the fall. And on November uh, 6, 2010, uh, I ran the, the monumental marathon in Indianapolis. And... <sighs> It was as awful as it sounds. Like it was, that, that morning, I've talked to people who have run that race and are like, oh man, I get cold just thinking about it. It was 23 degrees when the race started. Uh, I got to mile 18 and my body was screaming at me, why are you doing this, you fool? Uh, I got to, to mile 21 and honestly, I was done. I just wanted to call it quits. And, and about that time, a, a friend of mine uh, named Travis came running right past me, um, looking like feeling good. And uh, so I did not like him in that moment. But I did appreciate that when he saw me, instead of just being like, hey, good luck and running on, he stopped and he ran with me. And he encouraged me to, to keep pushing on, to not give up. He stayed by my side for the next five miles he would point out other runners and say, look, they're doing it, man. You can too. You've got this. Don't, don't give up. He helped me focus on my breathing and took my eyes and thoughts off of the pain throbbing in my legs and my feet. 
After we passed the mile marker 26, we, we made a right-hand turn onto Maryland Street, and for the first time, we could see the, the finish line, and the street was lined with spectators and, and people who had already finished the race and were now not running and eating food, and it looked glorious. I'm like, I'm almost there, and, and was able to finish the race strong. It was one of the best feelings of my life. It meant I could finally stop running, but it also meant that I had accomplished what I set out to do, even though it was harder than I thought it would be and required more of me than I ever could have imagined. But crossing that finish line, man, it made all of the struggles worth it. My guess is that you probably have a story like that. Maybe not an endurance run story, but I guarantee you have a story of endurance in, in your life. A time that required more of you than you thought that you could give, but you pushed and you made it through. You endured through that season or through that challenge or through that struggle. You fought for your struggling marriage and there were days where you looked at your spouse and you thought, there is no way we are going to make it through this. And today you would say that you are happier than you've ever been before. You worked and you saved and you were able to pay off your credit cards and now you are living in the joy of being debt free. You courageously and lovingly stayed by your spouse as their health deteriorated and went from bad to worse and you were faithful to the end even as their care required more and more from you. Maybe you're walking through something right now and you're not sure how you are going to get through it. You're not sure if you have what it takes to even get through it. You're struggling with infertility. And it's raised questions about your faith that you've never had to ask before. Maybe right now you're wrestling with doubts and questioning things that you once held so dear. And you don't know how you're ever going to resolve some of those questions that you have now. Maybe someone that you love is caught up in addiction and you are trying to walk that fine line between loving them well and enabling them, and, and you know how difficult that line can be, and, and you don't know if there's an end in sight. Whatever it is, I think that we all go through times in life that require more of us, more from us than what we feel like we are able to, to give. There are times like that, even in our faith, when we are challenged by something that makes us question the things that we believe. The, the times when we, when we pray and we pray and we're like, God, why aren't you answering this? Where are you? And they make us sometimes just want to throw in the towel. Go back to life as it was before Jesus. If you've ever been there, maybe if you're there even right now, I think that you understand the original recipients of uh, this letter that we're going to be looking at today and, and where they find themselves in their life and, and in their faith. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12 is where we find our core verse for this week, our 51st core verse as we go through core 52. The book of of Hebrews is this letter that was written to the early followers of Jesus who were going through some really challenging times. They were facing persecution from the Roman government, but they were also facing difficult, uh, challenging circumstances from, from their friends and from their family who were trying to pressure them to turn away from Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews, which we don't know who it is, but they write this letter encouraging these brothers and sisters and us to hold on to our faith in Jesus, come what may, to endure and to persevere even if it is costly. And and after building up this incredible theological framework for why Jesus is the Messiah and and all of the things that, that he has done for us through the cross and through the resurrection. The author reminds us in chapter 11 of of these great men and women of faith who endured just like Jesus to the end. And then he writes these words in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Again, the author is writing to followers of Jesus who had come under pressure for their faith, who who know many people who have given into that pressure and walked away from their faith. And this letter was written to them and to us to stay strong, to endure, to not give up because God's future promises are greater than our present struggles. In fact, if I had to write a thesis sentence for the book of of Hebrews, that would be it, that God's future promises are greater than our present struggles. And so he encourages them and he encourages us to keep going, to not give up or give in. And he compares our, our faith journey to running a race. In fact, in fact, that, that last part of verse one is kind of the crux of the, these three verses. Everything kind of flows from that and everything in those verses leads towards that. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so since everything else builds on these words, let, let's study them just a little bit more so that we have a good understanding. The author says, let us run. How are we to run? With perseverance. And that, that, that word perseverance is written in the active voice, not passive, meaning that there is an effort and there is a struggle and there is a wrestling that happens as we live and as we follow Jesus, that it is not always going to be easy, but it is always going to be worth the fight. 
our faith as we live it out, especially in a world where more and more it seems like we are swimming upstream in a culture that is rapidly flowing downstream, it is going to cost us something. And the author wants to be clear about this. And so he uses that word for persevere three different times in these three verses. And it's translated persevere, endurance, and endure. And that word in Greek means to abide courageously. It's a beautiful word. Abide courageously. And so he says, let us run with perseverance. Let us abide in Christ courageously. But where are we running? Running. What is our, what is our course? He says, the race marked out for us. <laughs> that, that Greek word for race is agona. <laughs> it's where we get our word agony. <laughs> it's a struggle. It's hard. And there are times we want to give in and give up. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. The race has already been marked out for us, and we don't know the distance. We don't get to decide the difficulty. We just abide courageously through the agony, trusting and believing that God's future promises are greater than our present struggles. That is faith. It doesn't mean that it's all hard and, and awful. No, man, there's so much beauty and goodness in following Jesus. But it means that in those times where, man, not everything is okay. Those times when we feel like we can't put one foot in front of the other. That we can have confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is faith defined in verse 1 of chapter 11. So these three verses teach us how to run this race with perseverance. And the first thing that the author says is look around you. He says look around you because you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses these people mentioned in chapter 11, but the people that we also get to rub shoulders with each and every day, people whose, whose faith in Scripture led them to conquer kingdoms and administer justice and shut the mouths of lions to quench the fury of the flames and to escape the edge of the sword. But chapter 11 is also filled with men and women of that same kind of faith who because of their faith were jeered and mocked. They were flogged. They were locked up in chains and in prison. They were put to death by stone and the sword. This great cloud of witnesses is not only cheering us on as we walk in our own faith, but they are witnesses to God's glory and his faithfulness to us. And that his future promises are greater than our present struggles. One of my favorite artists is Vincent Van Gogh. And I, I love his, his work, but I'm, I'm even more fascinated by his life. And today, Van Gogh is considered one of the greatest artists of, of his time, for sure. And when he was uh, alive, <laughs> he used to only be able to barter his paintings for food and some more supplies. In fact, in his lifetime, only one of his paintings sold four months before his death. And even that um, is seen to be as a, a favor for a friend or maybe even pity on, on Van Gogh. 
Van Gogh struggled as an artist his entire life and died never seeing his genius or his skill recognized for what it was. And, and, in, a, and in a way, that's, that's what we see about the men and women in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, they all have one thing in common. They all died before seeing the fulfillment of the promise that they were holding on to. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Later in verse 39, it says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. None of them. And yet they were commended for believing that God is faithful to his future promises and that those are greater than our present struggles. And when we look around at scripture, and people in our lives today who are courageously abiding in faith, they spur us on to run our own race with perseverance. Next, the author says, look within you. Look within you. Now, this may not be the way that you think, what it means to look within you. We don't look within ourselves to find the strength to run in faith. That is an empty well. Instead, we look within us to see what might be holding us back so that we can throw it off and run in freedom. It's the image of runners taking off their warm-up clothes to, to start the race. Anything that is keeping us from running in faithfulness or that weighs us down or holds us back, the author says, man, get rid of it. Throw it off as quickly as you can. One of the best ways that I know how to do this in my own life is through prayer. Praying for God to reveal those areas in my life that are holding me back, those sins that are entangling me and keeping me from, from taking my next step of faith. And I'm telling you, every time I pray that prayer, it's like God takes a spotlight and shows me. And sometimes I'm like, ooh, no, I didn't mean it, God. <laughs> and sometimes it's exactly what I needed to see. And he gives me grace and forgiveness that I need to be able to throw it off so I can run with him. We've been singing a song recently in our 11, 9.30 and 11 o'clock service called, called Gold. And, and I love the lyrics of the chorus. It says, find me here in your presence. I'm not leaving the same. Let your refining fire purify me again. Let the weight of your glory bring me back to my knees. Oh God, come with revival and you can start it in me. And there is something so powerful that happens when we look within and identify those things that are holding us back in our faith or that sin that we are entangled in and weighing us down, when we purify our hearts through confession and prayer and we run in the freedom of grace. And if we want, listen, if we want to experience revival in our lives and in our church and in our community, that is where it starts. 
It is so easy for us to point fingers all around the world and say, well, that's the reason why there's not revival that's happening when Jesus is pointing his finger at us and going, no, is it happening in you first? Are you being honest with your sin before me and wrestling with it and laying it down and throwing it off so that you can run in the freedom of grace? And when we do that in our own lives, that is when revival starts in us. And when it starts in us, then it flows through a church and through a community. We're going to be talking a lot more about this through the fall, but Sherwood Oaks turned 60 on December 4th. And independent of each other, God has put on several of our hearts that leading up to our 60th anniversary, man, we need to be crying out to God for revival in our lives, in our church, in our community, and around the world. And so on Tuesday nights, starting on September 13th, we're going to open up the chapel just right towards the end of the hall from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. for an old-fashioned prayer meeting. No fancy title, no programming. And we're just going to spend one hour each week, whoever shows up, crying out to God in prayer to bring revival in our lives and in our church and in our community. And church, I cannot think of a better way for us to turn 60 and to look to 60 more years and beyond of ministry through this church than that. And so I am inviting you to come and to join us. Mark it on your calendars to come and pray for the Spirit of God to fall fresh on us and to lead us to an even brighter future for His glory. All right. We want to run our race in faith and perseverance. We look around. We look within and throw off those things that are holding us back. And then finally, we look to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the author, the pioneer, and the perfecter of our faith. His life, death, and resurrection is is the source of our faith and our salvation. And he is our perfect model of faith and the way that he trusted God and walked in total obedience. And so he says, fix your eyes on him Jesus lived by faith, trusting the Father day by day, moment by moment. He endured rejection and opposition and suffering, and yet he finished the work that God sent him to do. Jesus modeled faithful, abiding, courageous perseverance, and nothing delighted him more or brought him more joy than walking in that faith. Jesus trusted that God's future promise was greater than his present struggle, which is what gave him the abiding courage to endure the cross, scorning its shame, to walk in faith, and to set an example and make a way for us to do the same. So the author implores us as we run this race to fix our eyes on Jesus who not only shows us how to run, but he gives us the strength to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And so as we close out this morning, let me ask you just a couple of reflection questions to think about the race that you're running in your faith. Is there someone in your life 
that is in your cloud of witnesses. Maybe it's someone in scripture. One of mine is a guy in John chapter 9. And read his story later. I, I love it. I love his sarcasm <laughs> towards religious leaders. <laughs> is there someone that you kind of rub shoulders with that you're sitting next to right now? Someone who just models what faithfulness looks like, who is a witness to you about God's goodness and his grace. One person like that for, for me uh, is Tom Ellsworth. And I was reminded of that actually even just over the last couple of weeks, that one of the things that I appreciate about Tom so much, and there are many, many things that I, I love about that man, but the fact that even after 40 years of ministry, Tom was able to laugh so easily. And it was always a good day if you could get Tom to snort laugh. Um, <laughs> but just the fact that he served so faithfully, continues to serve so faithfully, and yet still has so much joy in his heart because of Jesus. Man, Tom, Tom's in my cloud of witnesses. Who is it for you? It's encouraging you and cheering you on. Man, reach out to them this week. Let them know. Be that person for someone else. Second question, is there something holding you back right now from running in faith with endurance and abiding courage? Is there something that you are clinging onto, hoping that it will provide for you what only Jesus can? Hoping that it will fill a hole in you that only Jesus can fill? A relationship, an addiction, are you entangled in a sin and you feel like there is no way out? And confess it. Confess it to God in prayer. Confess it to a friend that you trust. Confess it and throw it off so that you can run in freedom. And then finally, are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Or are you focused on the worries and cares of this world? Are you consumed by this week's news more than you are consumed by the presence of God in you, giving you hope for the future? As the hymn goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful grace. And the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. Because Jesus trusted in God's future promises, he now sits at the right hand of God. He hears our cries. He hears our muttering prayers when we can't seem to find the right words to say. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he promises to give us what we need to endure and to abide courageously to run the race with perseverance. Jesus, thank you for being our example. Thank you for going before us to pave the way, for being the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, there are times when walking with you in this world is so hard. And Jesus, you know that better than any of us. But God, would you give us the strength and the grit to endure and to walk faithfully with you? to be that faithful witness to others of your goodness and your grace. And when life is hard and uncertain, 
May we cling to that promise that your future promises are so much greater than our present struggles. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.